we'd bring kids out of the audience, but with the help of the kids in, and uh, we would build a house. And we used cardboard that was all cut in sections and painted and everything so we could put the, the L sections up together for front and back, and then we put a roof over the top of it and, and so forth, and then we'd you know, fix the house. You know, Are we ready to have a fire drill? No, 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 Sparky'd shake his head, no. What are we missing? Well, we're missing the address on the front of the house because we were driving home the importance of addresses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are we ready now? Uh-uh. And we don't have a smoke alarm in there, so we'd get a smoke alarm and put a smoke alarm in there. And and uh, so we had it all set up so we could Velcro it up to the roof and so forth. And are we ready now? Oh, no, we still got to, you know, make sure that they know where their family meeting place is at. So we'd pick a kid out of the audience and put a camouflage coat on him and <laughs> grab a tree branch. <laughs> He'd stand there with this piece of tree branch, and then you're our family meeting place. And then we'd do our fire drill and put three or four kids in there and sound the smoke alarm, and they were to leave, you know, down on their hands and knees, crawl out quickly, and get to their family meeting place. Welcome to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson. And a quick shout-out to everybody who's joined uh, the Patreon account at patreon.com backslash Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I really appreciate the support. And uh, that support helps me do stuff like we're doing right now, doing more in-person uh, conversations with people from who are a little bit ways out of town, far enough away from Virginia that you got to get on an airplane. So uh, you'll learn more about that as we go along. Uh, in this episode... I'm uh, going to talk to a couple of legends. One of them has been with me before uh, from episode 13, a retired state fire marshal from Virginia, Ed Altizer. How are you, Ed? I'm doing pretty good. Good morning. Ed, congratulations. You're the first uh, repeat guest, I think. Oh, really? You are. And uh, another first for this uh, for this podcast, we've actually got a studio audience over in the corner. Was that with... <laughs> Was that because I was free the last time and I, you, you invited me back because you couldn't find anybody else? No, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. Because you've got a connection to this other guy over here. Oh, okay. So there, there's a connection, trust me. And, and you happen to be in town, so that's a good thing. <laughs> there you go. Well, please welcome uh, the new guest to the podcast, one of the legends in the fire service. And uh, when you say legend, uh, the definition kind of typically uh, exemplifies somebody who's known throughout the community and uh, this gentleman's pretty much known throughout the U.S. as a, a fire service legend. Uh, and I first met him uh, at the Prevention Advocacy Resources and Data Exchange Conference or Parade Conference at the National Fire Academy uh, around 2005 or so. And I was uh, pretty new in the prevention community and didn't know many of the national players. Uh, but at this meeting in Emmitsburg, Maryland, it was pretty clear that this gentleman was a legend then. And I was fortunate enough to get to know him over the ensuing years. Uh, he's been a fire chief, a state fire marshal, a regulatory engineer for an international standards-making organization and remains active in his local fire department, the Plainwell Department of Public Safety in Michigan. Uh, he's also known by some as the godfather of the Michigan Fire Inspector Society. Uh, he's been recognized as a, as a Michigan state senator at one point in time, but really wasn't a senator. We'll get into that, that story. Yeah, we won't cover that. <laughs> and he... <laughs> And I've seen him twirl a pretty mean hula hoop in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, but he's known by many more as a friend, a mentor, and a legend. Please welcome to the podcast from Otsego, Michigan, 
uh, Chief Ron Farr. Ron, how are you? Good, Robbie. Thank you very much. Man, it's good to see. You. It's been uh, since well before the pandemic that we actually were all together and uh, got a chance to get you down to Virginia to the Virginia Fire Chiefs Conference for a, for an opportunity to to be here with us. And it's good to catch up with with everybody who's uh, here this weekend. So I thank you for that. So it's good to see you. Uh, so yes, I'm, I mentioned that uh, we met at parade, and Ed, you were there, I think, at the same time. I um, was. Yes. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what it was about that conference, but it was pretty clear that the people at the fire academy, when things broke up into groups, they were kind of given somebody to lead that group. And they said, Ron Farr from the state of Michigan, would you lead this group? And uh, he certainly picked it up. And, and over the years of working with him uh, in, on NFPA standards committees, it was pretty clear that he's got this organizational skill in a way about him that just kind of gets people together and doing work. So, uh, so that was kind of my biggest uh, impression first right off the bat with Ron. So, uh, I'll uh, say thanks for that. So uh, let's go back to the beginning. Where, where did you get started in the fire service, and how did you get there? I actually joined a uh, volunteer fire department in my hometown right out of high school. And uh, my best buddy that uh, I grew up with, uh, his dad was one of the officers on the fire department, and, of course, we were always hanging around with him and, and uh, down at the fire station, and just it, it was intriguing for me. And then we went from hanging around down there to saying when we turn 18 we're going to join the fire department and he and I both joined the department at the same time and uh wasn't what I intended to make a career of where were you in the fire service your, what was your intention to do uh intended to, to uh, go to college to be a uh, band director music so you were, you and, were playing uh, music at the time you were in, you were in I was very active in music and and very active in dance bands and of course you know back then you didn't have the Spinning the discs on the, <laughs> a little more analog. the turntable, but we had true true bands that were being hired for different events, and I was the uh, percussionist or the drummer. Loved it, had a great time, and decided I wanted to make a career of music. But uh, my vocal tech teacher at uh, college changed my mind because he says, "Son, you can't sing." <laughs> <laughs> thank thank goodness for the honesty of those. Folks, he was very brutally honest. <laughs> so I, you know. Just decided to switch careers over and went right out of uh, right out of high school and into the into, into the fire service. Well, into the the fire service and actually started in law enforcement first. So then and, you, uh, you studied the a, test, did better on the test, and got in the fire side. I saw the error of my ways <laughs> and went over to the fire side, as a lot of folks said. Yep. But um, it was it was just something that uh, you know I found I loved and I wanted to do yeah. for a career, and it's been great. It's interesting. I've talked to a lot of people that had, you know, an A plan of doing mu music or engineering or, or whatever the, the course was. And then all of a sudden they, they dip a toe in the fire service and go, hey, this is pretty cool. And I think I'll do that or actually stumble into it. So yeah. what, what department was that you joined first as a volunteer and, and uh, where did the, the paid side wind up getting you? Plainwell. Plainwell. Plain one in my hometown there and still so there. One, I'm still there. Still there. <laughs> Uh, 54 years ago. So, again, a legend and a fixture, right? That's it. So, you went from Plainwool to you wound up in Kalamazoo eventually. How did you get up there? Wasn't it Kalamazoo you were in? It, it was, actually. I went down to Kalamazoo originally in uh, law enforcement and uh, spent a period of time with the uh, police department down there and uh, worked road patrol and detective and different activities and so forth. And then... Uh, 
uh, started digging fires. They didn't have a fire investigator for the department down there, the fire department, and uh, started digging fires for the, the fire department and got very interested in that. And uh, one thing led to another, and then I started getting asked questions about regulatory rules, code enforcement, and so forth from the chief and the different command staff on the fire department side of it. And, and basically it was like, folks, you don't have a fire code in place here in the, the jurisdiction. So uh, there isn't much I can do to help you out with anything there. And they said, well, what will it take to get a fire code? <laughs> so And you were still, exp- still on the law enforcement side of the show. I then? was still on the law enforcement side, so I explained it to them. And uh, they told me that uh, they wanted me to pursue putting the paperwork together for a fire code adoption process and create a prevention bureau at, uh, for the fire department. And I, I did that in my spare time and got all done with that. And it was kind of like, well, now you need to hire somebody. And Telling uh, you you needed to yeah, hire somebody. Well, or you were telling them they, they needed were. I was telling them, and then they said, yeah, we need to hire somebody. And uh, do you want the job? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, you had the you and, had the most uh, background in it the so far. So. But the interesting part about it too is that uh, I continued to uh, keep my law enforcement credentials, and uh, I was still a sworn officer with the police department, and my pay was coming from the fire department. So, so were you I, still doing road work for the no, on the police no, side? not at that time. But, I went over full time as fire marshal then. But were you still doing like uh, from a fire investigation standpoint? Fire the, investigation, yes. On the law criminal side. investigation from the law enforcement side, I maintained my police powers. So, um, as they joked, I was one of the few gun-toting fire marshals um, in the area. <laughs> but you know, much like we set the program up, much like the. At that time, the state fire marshal's office was set up. It was within the Department of State Police, and all fire investigators and all um, regulatory people within uh, the state fire marshal's office were state troopers. So it had police powers and so forth. And were they doing there was advantage to were those regulatory folks? Were they doing fire code enforcement as well as they were doing code enforcement on state regulated facilities, uh, healthcare, schools, nursing homes. But nothing in, the, and no, so forth. nothing in the mall or hotel? No, hotel. no. Um, that was all local jurisdiction, and for the most part, um, local jurisdiction, uh, they were responsible for all non-state-regulated facilities, industrial facilities. Uh, schools were in the state regulatory rules. Yeah. So when did you get connected um, to the Michigan Fire Inspectors Society? Because like I said, they... Uh, you know, people have said you're the godfather of that organization. And that's that's kind of how I wound up getting to Michigan to that conference a couple of times to speak and becoming a Michigan Spartans fan. I think I had to at that point. I'll, yeah. I'll tell the story about the T-shirt maybe. Maybe we'll see if that'll make the podcast. But uh, So how did you get hooked um, up with that From group? the inspectors, my uh, you know first conference to go to was uh, in 1975. I wanted to learn about, uh, you know, what was going on in other parts of Michigan and training from uh, other people and so forth. So I went to the first conference uh, with the organization. Uh, a couple of years later, ended up uh, being asked to run for the board of directors and spent a stint on the board of directors going up through the chairs as a uh, trustee and then, you know, vice president, president, and past president of the organization. And then uh, I did my past presidency in 1983 
And then from that point, I uh, um, went off the board for a couple of years and then uh, maintained my activities with things like planning committees and other activities that were going on with the organization. But at that point, a couple of years later, I uh, decided to run for secretary-treasurer and that the current secretary-treasurer wanted to run for the board of directors to go up through the chairs um, with that organization. The secretary-treasurer uh, is an annual elected position, but it doesn't necessarily move up through the chairs like uh, some organizations have them do. And that, those um, positions are typically more longer term, even though it's a yearly election from the finances and the records very much so it's, yeah. uh, it's a lot easier to keep some and, consistency uh, with a long term i you know ran for secretary treasurer and i ended up doing that for 31 years and pretty much running the show from what i saw from my time there you uh you coordinated the all most of the speakers and kind of kept things in line and moving along as you will if you will to to keep that group going. It's a fantastic conference for anybody who's near Michigan. Um, maybe take giving a shot and going to see that crew. The group is very proud of, of the organization and, and the organizational skills that they have to, to put on a conference and the training that they do provide. Michigan's got a, a training program, too, for new inspectors where they uh, um, bring an individual in and put them through a uh, level one, level two fire inspector training program and then to maintain that certification in the state you have to uh, get continuing education points so many points per year and one of the ways to do that is to get the education through the uh, Michigan Fire Inspectors Society by going to conferences and specialized training programs that they sponsor. I think it's pretty inter interesting too that when I learned about that group it's it's not a state agency uh, like the no. state fire college or Department of Fire Programs or any of these organizations that are certifying fire inspectors. It's MFIS that's putting on the program that's getting them certified and basically tracking the certifications and qualifications of the inspectors. Yep. And, and we've had a lot of other states that uh, have then shown interest in how we do things in Michigan and, and actually have tried to model their programs in their states after what Michigan does. Yeah, that's pretty neat. So, where did, Ed, where did you guys meet up? How did you meet Ron? <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not real sure when the first time I met Ron, but we actually started working together on the International Fire Marshal Association Board of Directors. Uh, my first year, I think, was around 2002, maybe 2001, and you were on the board at that time. Ron was on the board at that time, moving up through the chairs, and uh, I was on that board for about 13 years, and uh, Ron was always there. And we started hanging out together. He, he wasn't a state fire marshal in Michigan at that time. But that's where we hung out at NFPA, National Fire Protection Association, and uh, got along really well. And then um, when Michigan did what Virginia did uh, a few years ago and moved their <coughs> fire marshal's office from a housing organization, which we did in 2008, and they did it in, what, Ron, 2009, 2010? Right around that time, yeah. And then Ron was appointed state fire marshal at that time. And... Uh, then we could be together at other locations like the National Association State Fire Marshal. And it's been a good, a good after we both got out of those, or, well, got off the boards and <clears throat> retired, we still try to hang out some and talk. And it's, it's which is, which I, is how I we still, ended up here. <laughs> I can still learn from the younger generation. Yeah. <laughs> so you went from, were you the fire marshal in um, Kalamazoo? 
And Kalamazoo then, Township. The township, yes, not, yes. not the city of. Not the city, no. And then you went then you went straight from there to the state fire marshal's office? Uh, when I retired, I had 37 years in with the township, including my law enforcement and fire service time mm-hmm. um, with Kalamazoo Township. And when I retired the last six years I had in as, as the chief of the department, um, I basically retired on a Friday and started on a Monday morning as state fire marshal. Yeah, so not much of a transition. There. No, no. So were you the first state fire marshal in this new setup, the way that uh, when, the, when the office moved? Yes, yes. What were, what were some of the challenges about that? How much of a difference was it from where they were to where they wound up being? Um, one of my first challenges was <laughs> learning state politics. It's a whole lot different than uh, local politics. Yeah, well, there's a, and, there's a guy in Florida that says the definition of politics is that you got to look at the root words as poly meaning many and ticks yeah. is a blood-sucking arachnid. So, <laughs> so he's, he, I think he adequately <laughs> describes it. There were challenges, many challenges that were going on and so forth, but... Uh, at the same time, there were uh, needs for the fire service across the board that uh, we had to address. Um, many of those needs was, you know, contact with the state fire marshal to the local jurisdictions. So I spent a lot of time on the road and uh, meeting with other fire service organizations. Were they, they were in the state police before that? Before They, they were. Uh, previous, um, the state regulations um, or the state facilities, I guess I should say, that were regulated by the Department of State Police fire inspectors um, was within uh, the state uh, police activities, and then that was removed, um, and uh, they uh, were transferred over to a regulatory branch in Michigan government and uh, no longer were state troopers. They were all civilian employees. So did when they came over, did they bring any of those police powers with them, or did the no. Mer- Michigan State Police maintain the investigation side of the They function? maintained strictly the investigation side of it, and everything else went over to the regulatory side, and it was um, partnered up with the uh, Bureau of Construction Code. Gotcha. And they were underneath, uh, I don't remember the acronym now back then, but it was uh, like licensing regulatory affairs or something like that. So let's go back to uh, some of your time with IFMA and that board, that is the International Fire Marshals Association that used to be called the North American Fire Marshals Fire Marshals Association of North America, FOMANA. Yeah, Fire Marshals Association of North America. Um, what, tell me a little bit about that group, either one of you, and what they do. I mean, I, in full disclosure, I don't know which one of you hit me over the head first to get me on that board, but I wound up on that board <laughs> at some point when a, a certain nominating committee uh, put my name in the hat. Thank you both for that, by the way. That was not, fun. I'm not time. sure who that was. but <laughs> <laughs> So what, what's, uh, what was it like being on the IFMA board and uh, working with that group? Well, um, again, Ron was on the board when I came on, and it was kind of scary for me at first because I'd been the state fire marshal for four or five years, and had been going to IFMA meetings at NFPA and other places that, that I could get there. Uh, but the board, the IFMA board at that time and continued on, had tremendous knowledge in fire protection and fire prevention. And that was kind of scary because everybody knew more than I did. But I, but I learned a lot from it. it was, that was so impressive in what they could do in their contact, contacts across the country and um, the influence they had in code development, particularly to National Fire Protection Association, um, and the educational programs they could provide uh, and have, and, and have provided them in Virginia also, which at, at our conferences here. And uh, that, 
that was really impressive work that the IFMA did throughout the country. Uh, I think, what, Ron, 37, 38 chapters, state chapters there. Um, Who, what, which, and that's the, the way that works is each state organization, uh, the Virginia Fire Prevention Association, Michigan Fire Inspectors Association has a chapter of IFMA. Let me see, what's, uh, what's Michigan's IFMA chapter number? One. <laughs> <laughs> we're always very proud. You guys are always very proud of carrying that number, as uh, as I recall. But uh, that that board is really made up of people from the organizations, and it's not um, it's not all state fire marshals. It's not all small jurisdictions. It's kind of a, the it's I think cross cross mix. That's one of the interesting parts about the uh, the IFMA board, and even prior to that, FMANA board is that you know, that was broken up so that you had a couple of people from state government and state fire marshal's offices. You had a couple of people from large metropolitan departments, a couple of people from medium size, and a couple from smaller departments. So a good cross-section of uh, the regulatory groups that they were representing. What I found interesting was that, you know, when, that, that when I got on the board and was working with the chapter meetings, even those, those smaller organizations, they would have the same problems that the metros and even state agencies were having. It was just a matter of scale, yep. you know, whether it was uh, staffing and manpower or uh, money or a certain fire problem they were trying to deal with. It was, you know, the, the song remained the same. It was just how loud it was getting played, so to speak. I think the other neat thing about FMA2 is they took a very active role in code development in uh, all the different principal or primary regulatory rules fire code and life safety code and sprinkler documents, uh, fire alarm documents and so forth. So they were very active in the development of, of the different regulatory rules and they represented uh, the international fire marshals on those committees, got uh, sought appointment from different individuals to those committees. Yeah, and I can remember a couple of issues coming to back to the board. You know, those committee members would come back to us and go, hey, here's, here's an issue coming up and here's what we're discussing. What's what should be our position on this, and then, very much so. And that that individual would carry that carry that water back. I think I think uh, well, if my International Fire Marshal Association has representation on more than sixty committees uh, at NFPA, and I think that has a that has a lot of influence. And there are times that uh, when I represent the IFMA, uh, NFPA committee, I was the only fire person out of how many twenty five people next. Uh, code development committee for NFPA and but my voice carried a lot of weight just because I was there and there were people that would say well we're going to defer to the, the fire service on this one Ed what's your what do you think what do you do and a lot of them would vote that way just because it's kind of like EF hunting when it when kind, Ed speaks kind, well <laughs> actually uh, I fought a uh, state fire marshal from Virginia Harold Summers on that committee and uh of course, I came from southwest Virginia and have a little bit of a hillbilly twang. So Howard was more of a gentleman-type person. I mean, one of the guys uh, on the committee said, I'm uh, glad that Ed is here. And I remember Howard Summers and what a gentleman he was. Ed speaks this with the same knowledge, but he's a little bit hillbilly. I said, that's fine. If, if you vote with me, I'm good for it. Yeah, so southwest Virginia twang comes in play. Well, and Ed, you were active with uh, co-development in the uh – international code process too the i codes quite a bit and i said on besides uh, just nfpa documents absolutely i uh sat on committees at uh, icc 
Yep. Uh, I was on their nominate committee at one time, nominate PD people to their committees. And then I was on the fire code yeah, committee. Thank you for that too, by the way. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I was on, I was on the fire code committee and, uh, uh, it, uh, and a couple others. And it's, uh, trying to, uh, bring stuff that we need fixed, trying to get it fixed. And, uh, it wasn't always easy. Still not. Still not. No. Still not easy. Well, Ron, what, uh, looking back on your career, um, any interesting calls or um, incidents that happened that uh, kind of come to mind that stick in your memory? I, I always tell people like, there's probably those calls that uh, make you laugh, some make you cry, and some make you glad you were there because of the teamwork that happened. Any, any incidents like that popped in your mind? I think one of the biggest ones when you look back over everything, uh, you know, I was a real proponent of public fire education and teaching kids about good fire safety behavior. And one of the things that we lacked when I first started at the township in fire prevention was, you know, an educational program for the kids in the school, especially K through three. And uh, the city of Kalamazoo struggled with the same thing and a couple of other outlying departments struggled with the same thing. And we put together a uh, team of local fire marshals or fire inspectors and developed public education curriculum and our programs to take into the schools. The first step was to get invited into the schools and we, over a period of time, were um, allowed to go into the schools and do public education. Um, we had various programs, different ones each year. We'd spend about an hour and 15 to hour and 20 minutes with the kids as a group setting. And we went back and did it individual ones in classrooms too at the request of teachers. But as an all-school assembly program, we went into the schools and did public education and talked to them about, again, good fire safety behavior, the do's, the don'ts, and so forth. But the, the one that will stick in my mind um, is a group of kids in a school system um, in the northern part of Kalamazoo County. And uh, we had done a, um, uh, an educational program for them. And a couple of days later, uh, one of the, the kids that were in the class, her family, uh, had a fire in their home. Tragically, uh, there were three kids in the home, and tragically, uh, one of the kids did not make it out. And uh, the other youngster was found within the home and was pulled out by firefighters and revived. She, she came through it okay. Um, but uh, the third child, we had difficulty trying to locate initially and then found that she was next door. And when I talked with her, I said, you know, what did you, and, you know, going through what did you do or when you discovered the fire and so forth? And she said, I heard my mom yell, fire, get out. And they didn't have smoke alarms and so forth, but I heard mom yell, get out. The kids slop upstairs, mom slept downstairs. And uh, the little girl had absolutely no indication that she'd been in a fire. You know how we see kids been in a fire? You'll have sooting around their eyes, their nose, their mouth, and, and so forth. And she had none. And uh, I remember asking her, what, you know, what did you do? And so forth. she says, I did just what, you know, Fireman Rod and Sparky said. I, you know, got down on the floor and crawled to the top of the stairs and got down the stairs, went out the back door and went to my neighbor's house. And that was their family meeting place. And that sticks in my mind. 
It's uh, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy. Obviously, she sat through the class, but apparently her siblings did not. Uh, they were older, and, and they, no, they didn't. They missed the. They, they missed had, that program. They did not. No, there was that age difference, and they didn't have the opportunity to go to it because they we weren't doing them when the kids were in K through three. Pretty clear anecdotal evidence that the program actually works it's, but, uh, you know, within that family. Yeah, we'd see thousands of kids each year, but uh, just a case that one will always stick in my mind. So, spinning off of that, how much of that led you to um, one of the first, the, the first NFPA technical committee I got on was NFPA seventeen thirty, which is the fire prevention organization and deployment standard um, that you were the chair of, uh, and we kind of brought that one out of the ground. How much of that incident kind of drove you to that kind of work with NFPA going forward in your career? I think in the back of my mind, it's always been there. Um, because you continue to think about it. My first committee to actually get involved with was NFPA one, the fire code committee. And I, uh, I thank former state fire marshal, uh, Wade Schaefer from Michigan for getting me involved in that and actually getting me involved with, uh, International fire marshals too. He was active with it, and he said, "This is an organization you got to get involved with." And a lot of what I did was the result of other people, kind of saying, "This is a good group. You need to get involved with them. You know, you're willing to work, work." So, and you two, or at least one of you, kind of gave me that advice: is you need to get involved with this group. You need to get involved with. Uh, the standards making, the parade, IFMA, fill in the blank for a couple other groups. And uh, that's why I say you, both of you guys are kind of mentors to me in, in my career, at least that part of my career when I was looking at um, moving up through the ranks in the fire marshal's office. And I think that really did do me a benefit in the career and then the career after the career, so to speak. So uh, talk talk a little bit, either, both of you, about what how important that part of it is to being involved in – the business outside of your office and, and and we were just yesterday talking with a bunch of fire inspectors at this conference about how important it is that they they are involved in something more than just doing that inspection that day or that week what what has been part of ifma or parade or nasvm or any or mfis or vfp what how much of that makes you guys better do you think at your job globally i think it's an incredible learning experience um, there is so much value in being able to network with everybody else that is involved in the, in the fire service itself, too. Um, whether it's just a little idea that they got, but uh, you bring it back into to the big picture, and it's just absolutely incredible. I, I would totally agree with that, and I think I said that earlier, that when I got on the IFMA board, I was amazed at the knowledge around the table and the experience that the, the people there had. A lot of them were older than me at that time, and uh, I caught up with them in age, I think. But um, just the, the, the knowledge, and even the National Association of State Fire Marshals, the same thing. Uh, uh, I, the other uh, Virginia Fire Fence Association right here, uh, again, the learning experience, the educational part of it is great. Great learning, great programs. But being able to talk to your counterparts in other jurisdictions in the Virginia or other uh, jurisdictions in the state um, even in the Association of State Fire Marshal we got to mingle with some of the folks from Canada from time to time and so it's always great that knowledge is there and highly suggest to anyone 
that have an opportunity to go to any any conferences like that 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 they and then hang out later and talk to the other people there uh, such a great experience learning experience and knowledge i think gathering. the other part of that whole thing too is ed is that uh, uh people that i've worked with um, bring it just a little bit closer to your own people your that i've worked point. with are so willing to share their knowledge their experience um with you as an individual um and you know you don't feel like that they're better than you or anything else it's all pretty much equal plane absolutely i can remember <clears throat> i think virginia's chapter number 29 in ifma um and i pushed and got some resistance from some of the folks in virginia about being a chapter and finally talked to one uh, gentleman to, to going up to a meeting and setting in on the chapter presidents and he was president of uh virginia power fence association at the time and uh, so he sat around, and afterwards he says, we got to become a chapter. Everybody around that table of IFMA does the same thing that we do in Virginia. And he'd already learned, and we became a chapter shortly after that. He brought it back to Virginia and said, we're going to be a chapter for yeah. that knowledge base. It impressed, what it impressed me was everybody around that table has the same problems we have. So that gives me the, uh, the idea for another podcast you're going to help me co-host is get that Phil Paulquette on here. Get old uh, Phil so, Paulquette, yeah. Because those, those, there's going to be more stories than just IFMA coming out of Phil, and that would be a, that'd be, he'd be an awesome yeah, yeah. time to catch up with him. He too. sure would. So, and, you know, like you say, I, I think the biggest part that helped me was is it became a real network. And um, whether it was through the IFMA board or the VFPA group, you know, hey, I, we've got this challenge in Chesterfield. Anybody else dealt with it? And it was never – I don't, I don't think I ever had a case where I put something out as a question. Is somebody dealt with this that I haven't gotten some kind of reply back to, yes, we, we dealt with that. Here's how we dealt with it. And certainly may not be the perfect answer for that locality, but it certainly gave somebody some uh, background or at least a framework to look at. and kind of. One, one of the things in Virginia um, that the State Fire Marshal's Office was always involved with, uh, in Virginia – localities may or may not enforce the fire prevention code it's their choice and in the areas that they do not the state fire marshal's office is the fire marshal for that jurisdiction basically particularly all the mandates that uh, that come out of state government for inspections such as for uh, nursing homes hospitals or uh, schools uh, adult, adult centers we are the fire, the fire marshal for that locality that doesn't have a local fire marshal uh, one of the things I always, I told people what I tried to do was put myself out of business, is convince local governments to adopt the fire prevention code and enforce it because they can do it better at their local level with the local challenges than we could at state level. And the other thing is, the better we did, the, the, the less they needed me. Right. So. I think the whole goal is not to put a business out you know, or close the business down, it's to keep them active in a local jurisdiction. I mean, that's that's tax base for your community, and and people understand that, that you're there to help them. Um, there's tremendous value to that. And it all is how you sell the whole program. Uh, somebody told me once a long time ago that all I wanted to do was write notices of violation. And I told them, that's not yeah. true. I never wanted to write a notice of violation. That means I'd have to come back and talk with you. <laughs> to see if you had corrected it. 
but you're right. It's it's the job is our job is not to write notes of violation. It's to educate the people we're yep. dealing with on the importance of what we're doing and, and the safety that we can help bring to their and keep them in business. So yeah, I always I always told folks it was a it was actually a failure. You had failed if you had to get to the point where you're writing somebody a summons because your your job is to educate them and show them why this why this regulation is here, why it's a good idea for safety of the patrons and business sense for them as well to spend however much money it was to, to invest in safety so that they could stay in business, you know, if an incident occurred. I remember uh, one of the things, an example, shortly after the uh, station nightclub fire in uh, West Rurik, Rhode Island occurred, we, uh, in Kalamazoo area, I was uh, still the fire marshal at the time. I hadn't moved up to chief. But uh, one of the things that we did was put on a program um, for all of our bar, nightclub, public assembly, owners, managers, and so forth, anybody that was interested in coming to a big workshop. We did an all-day workshop, and uh, we covered safety issues, but we covered things that dealt with um, the do's and don'ts as far as good fire safety behavior. And the thing that we heard afterwards um, over and over again is, I didn't know we couldn't do that, or I didn't know that we had to do that. And, uh, you know, there was an educational process, and that's what the whole thing boils down to is educate, educate, educate. I don't care whether it's kids or whether it's adults. In the home setting or business owners or whatever it might happen to be, education is a critical component that I don't think that we spend enough time on. I I would totally agree with that i uh won a few people over or actually more than that and i can remember a couple of times that uh, the codes and, and this is kind of the subject but the codes are generally broken down into two things for uh, regarding sprinkler systems you either sprinkler or you compartmentize and that's been that way for many many years uh, and so some people will go ahead and spend extra money building a building and and putting in fire protection walls and fire partitions and things like that. I know that's kind of off the subject there. But I ended up having a few people, um, assisted living facility owner for one of them, uh, an explosive manufacturer of another, others actually paying local government to extend their water lines to their facility so they could sprinkler and not worry about compartmentation worry. because they learned the value. And it was cheaper in some and cases. It ended up being cheaper, and they actually put in water lines to, to sprinkler. And uh, I told one, one architect who became a good friend of mine because of this, I told him one day he, he brought a plan in for a small business. And I said, well, you know you don't have to sprinkler that. And he said, you talked me. I want to sprinkler it. He said, I'm not going to give the owner an option. I'm just going to sprinkler, have the building sprinklered. And... Uh, as they a, will never know that they didn't have to do it. And I said, a winner. Okay. Is a winner. And that was his business from then on. He sprinkled these buildings. So, Well, it hadn't been all business with these guys. Um, I mentioned earlier, <laughs> don't look at me in that tone. Um, you know, they, all through the fire service, you hear people talking about jokes and pranks and, and having a good time with the, the job and the people around. And uh, I'll kind of wrap it up and start wrapping it up anyway and ask Ron what, what's his uh, – most memorable fun experience of, of his career, um, not necessarily code-related stuff, but uh, what's been the funnest part of it? 
Oh, man, there's been so many different things. But I think it's just the camaraderie that's been developed over the years with all the different people. It doesn't matter whether it was with the local um, state chapter or fire inspector society or whether it's been with people from the international fire marshals or, you know, I had the privilege of serving on the NFPA Standards Council for a number of years. And the interaction with the people there and the uh, just things like dinners that you'd go to and, and chat with people back and forth and so forth. But uh, all the way around, it's just the interaction and, and uh, fun, just just downright fun times. And I know where you're going, Robbie, so be careful. Uh, yeah, I am because uh, this, is, this is a mutual mutual destruction society here. I'm sure you got some in- interesting tidbits about my history or at least couple of you mate but uh well, there's ghosts in the closet there so are that careful. but uh, I'll, I'll just i'll kind of summarize that and say there's a there's a the, the comment we had yet last night sitting around and chatting uh was somebody had a margarita the size of a toilet bowl toilet bowl at a dinner one night and i'm not going to say who that was but both of you guys were there <laughs> um i'll deny it yeah good for you um i was there <laughs> Uh, there was a, uh, a comedy club adventure uh, at, the, at an MFIS uh, conference. Uh, two buses traveled to a comedy club, and that, which was a great show, by the way. It was a state trooper who was a comedian. And uh, I, I forget who it was. That in fact, we were on the way in the bus, on the way to the comedy club, and somebody from MFIS group said, he's a cop. Stop at that donut shop. <laughs> and hung donuts on the microphone when he went as he came up to to, to do his set at the yep. comedy club, and he went, yep. "Oh, oh, I see how this is going to go," <laughs> and it just just went back and forth from there. We just had an absolute blast with that guy and and that crew, and uh, I won't say what happened on the party bus coming back, but uh, we had a good time. Definitely, so, a lot of great memories with great friends. Yep, we've been whale watching and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's there's only a couple people who know the whale watching story, but uh, they do not bury whales on the Virginia Beach boardwalk. We'll just oh, oh they don't. Yeah, Gosh. they don't. <laughs> shocking, shocking to at least one person in the room at the time. Anyway, so uh, well, uh, we'll kind of try to land this Joker, and uh, I'll ask you maybe two more questions. If you had to go back and and do your career, uh, what position do you, you would you like to go back to and do another year at, and uh, and why? Wow. Um, from my perspective, probably state fire marshal. I thoroughly enjoyed that opportunity to serve as the state fire marshal and uh, it was going out and, and meeting with the fire service groups across the state that I, that I really enjoyed and I miss. Um, you know, but I got an offer to, to take the next step and, and it was a very attractive offer and I took it. Yeah, that, that's when you went to be what? What was it titled? Regulatory engineer. Uh, regulatory engineer for, with the uh, uh, UL Underwriters Laboratory. And uh, with that, we got to got to teach together a couple times. We, we did. worked worked in a couple of programs at NFPA and some couple of states as well. So I enjoyed that working with you there. Uh, Ed, you got anything else? I would probably say mine was would be the state fire marshal position. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I held that for about 20 years, and uh, I got to meet a lot of people. I got to learn a lot and had some uh, success in some of the things that we did. Uh, got to chair a couple of committees that had a lot of success 
getting things passed at the national level. And um, the thing I learned is that if I'm a chair of a committee, what I do is hire the people that know how to do things and sit back and let them do it. And I have done that many times. Very uh, true. Ron, one last question for you. Um, you know, how long have you been in the fire service? 54 years. 54, 54 years. Still there. Uh, you get the chance to talk to a recruit academy to, today that's graduating, that, um, graduating their fire school. What would, you, what would you tell them to kind of help them along in their career and, and uh, make that as beneficial to them as possible? Talk about the importance of training continue and repetitious training and uh, I don't mean just you learn it and then don't worry about it anymore you continually practice the same same thing and it sounds so easy but the same thing over and over again um, one of the examples I've used at different times when I've talked to and graduating classes from fire academies and in recruit groups and so forth too but uh, I use the example of the uh, US Airway flight 1549 that landed on the Hudson River and the fact that uh, you know the pilot and the co-pilot brought that plane down on the Hudson and saved um, all of the people that were of course on board and so forth and it was because of the training that they had and the value of constantly training yeah I know how to do that yeah I know how to do that no you do it so that you can do it in your sleep unconscious subconsciously type thing but um, just to be able to, to pull up with an engine at a house fire and automatically go into this mode of everything happens for a reason, get that reason done. And you can't do that without training. Your sports stars don't get good without constant training. And uh, you, you've got other people that uh, are in the same boat. I, I look at um, sports figures like Derek Cheaters. You know, he didn't just pick up a baseball one day and start throwing it around and saying, yep, yeah, I'm ready to go to the Yankees. Uh, the man practiced. I know he was from Kalamazoo, oh. and he started out. Young Michigan guy. Yeah, he started out with his family throwing the baseball in the backyard, and then it went to Little League, and then it went to high school, and then college uh, was after him and so forth. He went right into the pro side of it, though. But he was just, you know, it was something that, that he didn't ever let up on. Constant training, training, training. And uh, music, you know, or some people are good at it and some people aren't. But you've got to constantly practice. Um, you're, you're people that are really good at, at you know, playing piano and, and guitar and, and any instrument. Um, but it's, it's that constant repetitious training that they go through to themselves. And, and it's... But you got to do it in the fire service too, and it can be done. Yeah, I'm kind of reminded of a, I think it was a Zen quote I read. This has been many years ago, and it said, "In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few." And the the whole concept behind it was always to have a beginner's mind, yep. whether it be open mindedness or always learning, always learning the next way to do it. And in the fire service, things change so much, whether it's building construction. You know, uh, apparatus, um, the equipment we use, breathing apparatus, whatever it is, you've got to train on the next generation or about the next generation or you're going to get left behind, I think, too. So, yep. Good points. Ed, you got anything else? Any other questions? I, I don't think I have any other questions. Uh, well, maybe. <laughs> Later.
Okay, well, we'll, we'll have some water later. In the, the water will be good. Any questions from the peanut gallery over there? It's not. It's not a whale. <laughs> well, uh, Ron and Ed, thank you both uh, for everything. You've, uh, like I said, you've been a mentor to me and helped me in uh, in parts of my career. Whether it was getting involved with VFPA or IFMA or NFPA committees or uh, engaged with uh, some groups in Michigan and Wisconsin and getting getting me connected with those folks and helping me learn along the path and prepared me for uh, what I did during my career and even today. So I appreciate that greatly. And uh, thank you guys for being here. Any other last words? It's just a privilege to be involved with you. Man. It is a privilege to be involved. And one last thing, I would encourage fire inspectors, fire marshals, or whatever your title is or will be, is to become involved with the code development process, with the educational process, and we need that continuing um, involvement from the fire service. That's how you learn. That's how you learn. Well, with that, I'll say uh, thanks to you guys again, and thanks to everybody for listening. If uh, you'd like to drop us an email, uh, we want to share anything with Ron or Ed, uh, you can drop me an email at firehouselogbook at gmail.com and follow along on Twitter uh, or Instagram. The handle's there. Twitter's at, at FDLogbook. Instagram is at FD Logbook Podcast, and uh, sure enough, we're on Facebook at FD Logbook as well. And don't forget, you can help support this uh, this podcast and help me get some more guests live and in person, like Ron, by uh, supporting on Patreon. Uh, that address is patreon.com backslash Firehouse Logbook Podcast. Guys, thanks so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Privilege. So, sorry about the whale comment, <laughs> but I couldn't pass it up. Very good. <laughs> somebody, I said to somebody, I like, I don't want to see a whale. I'm like, oh, there's, I hear there's one buried in the sand. They go, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're not the only one. I'm like, I'm not the only one. So, oh, you finally got a chance. <laughs> She's been waiting. So.